Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We've been spending our time over the last few weeks in a Christmas sermon series that has kept us in this book of Colossians, looking at glorious announcements. In our first week, we looked at the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is God and challenged ourselves to consider what impact that would have on our lives. If Jesus is God, if we believe that Jesus is God, so what? But what impact does that have on our lives apart from making us able to better defend that doctrine, which is important, uh, aside from using it in evangelism, what impact does that have on our everyday life, the fact that Jesus is God? What are the practical ramifications of that truth in our everyday lives? Last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus Christ lives in you. If you're a Christian, if you've been born from above, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ lives in you. In you, And that's not just a cute, fuzzy thing that we say. He literally lives in you. We looked at several Bible texts that tell us that. Uh, how the world, uh, and, and we looked at several different texts of what it means to have Jesus in us. And how when the world rears its ugly head and persecutes Christians in any way, it's not the Christians they're persecuting, but Jesus Christ himself. And in order to get to him, they try to get to and have to get through you, Because Jesus Christ, although the fact remains that he died on the cross, his death on the cross was not enough. Christ's work on the cross is finished, but his work on earth is not. As far as the world is concerned, they say his death on the cross is not enough for them. They're not satisfied. God is satisfied with his death on the cross. And he's absorbed the wrath that is headed for sinners like you and me, which we'll talk about a little later. But the world wants him dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And although Christ's work on the cross is finished, his work on earth is not. And while God has not called us to take his place on the cross, he has called us to take his place on the ground, suffering with joy and being good stewards of the gospel by sharing it with others, serving one another, and growing in our walk with Christ. Today we look at the third glorious announcement. Next week we'll look at our last, Lord willing. But today we look at the third glorious announcement, which we'll find in the book of Colossians, beginning in chapter 2, verse 8. So as we uh, read that, if you would do me a favor, if you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word and read along with me Colossians chapter two, beginning in verse eight, read silently as I read the word of God aloud. This is what the scripture says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead." And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we come before you now excited to open your word, excited as we look forward to celebrating the birth of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would be with us in a very special way this morning, Lord, that you would instill within us joy and anticipation and awe for you and your word, and that, Lord, you would change hearts and lives, not just as a result of being here, but as a result of your word running forth and impacting us in a very powerful, powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is at the very heart and center of Christmas because God's solution for our biggest problem and our greatest fears and everything that is wrong in our life is all wrapped up, not just in that little manger, but in the God-man, the baby, Jesus. See, the Christmas story is the story of wonder, of how God took on flesh, stepped down into our world to do for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. And that is take care of our sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And it creates havoc and a brokenness between us and other people all around us. Maybe this Christmas, more than most, you're thinking to yourself, I don't really see how there could be a God or if there is a God, what he's really like. Because I look out my window, I look in my own life, I read the paper, I look online, what I see in my Facebook feed does not exactly scream, there's a God, he is good, and he is working and doing all sorts of marvelous things in our world. Maybe you're saying, I don't see how there could be a good God in the midst of a world like what we have right now, that is constantly being just jarred by the atrocities of evil that so regularly shatter any kind of peace we start to feel, any kind of hope we start to have for mankind. Maybe you see all these things uh, nowadays when it comes to the Christmas season, peace, joy, hope, believe, and you think, how? What am I supposed to just set aside reality, set aside what goes on in this world just for the Christmas season so I can say, Merry Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Last month, we watched in horror as the media gave us footage of the attacks that were so systematically and cruelly carried out in Paris, France. 30 days later, we were shocked by a husband and wife who would march into a holiday office party and open fire on 80 employees, leaving 14 dead, 22 injured, and once again, a nation of people asking, What is wrong with us? And if there is a God, why isn't he fixing this? In fact, the day after the shooting on December 3rd, the New York Daily News put into print what so many people were left thinking, saying on the headline, on the front page, God isn't fixing this. God isn't fixing this. And the cover of the newspaper surrounded the headline with some tweets that had gone out from political leaders who had said that they were praying for the victims and families involved in the shooting. And the article went on to say that prayers aren't working. And the hashtag, God isn't fixing this, began to trend on Twitter and all sorts of social media platforms. God isn't fixing this. So what should we think about God and all the evils that are in our world today? What do we think about that? Uh, Does he see the mess we're in? And if the answer is yes, 
That might make matters worse. He sees and does nothing. Does he even care? Is he able to do anything? But beyond that, has he done anything to fix and ultimately stop the evil that seems to be sweeping across our world right now and swallowing up nations and cities and, 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 and seemingly innocent lives? And finally, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Well, if you look at our text today in Colossians 2, which we read together, beginning in verse 8, right from the outset, our text warns us that we not be taken captive, verse 8, by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. And if you were to look at the original Greek text in Colossians chapter 2, that term that we translate into English, taken captive, do you know what it means? Kidnapped. Kidnapped. Don't be kidnapped, if you will. Don't let them take you. Don't let philosophy and empty deceit and all the seemingly wise and good things that the world has to offer, don't be taken captive by that. Stick to truth. Stick to truth. See, the Colossian Christians were living at a time when the manger scene was a little less than two generations before them. Now, we look back on the birth of Christ some 2,000 years after the fact. But the Colossians were looking back at something that took place just 60-something years prior. And the death and resurrection of Christ just some 30 years prior. So this was fresh on their minds. And they, in their day and age, were dealing with the same thing we deal with today. A world that hates God, denies God, wants nothing to do with Christ. And so Paul warns them to not be taken captive, not physically, but don't let your minds be kidnapped by these lies. Don't let your minds be taken captive by that which is really empty. And Paul warns them to not believe what they're hearing from others. And today we read headlines that say, God isn't fixing this. God, hey, Christian, hey, believer, your God isn't fixing this. Are you praying? Good. Fat lot of good that does because look at this tragedy. Fat lot of good that does. You go to church, you worship God, great, good for you. In other news, more people died. So what good does that do? Don't be taken captive. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 and tell me if the same warning would apply to us today. Do we live in a world that feeds us information that is just empty, void of hope, void of reason, void of truth? Do we live in a world today that focuses more on human tradition? You see that in verse 8. Human tradition than they do the truth of God. Do we live in a world today that looks out at the, world, looks out at the things that are happening in the world today and really, really assesses it in a very elementary way? Bad is happening, so God must not be fixing it. I see bad, and God is good. God must not be doing anything, because I see bad. That's a very elementary way of looking at the world. It's a very, oh, well, what I see at face value is just obviously what is happening. I hear that God is good. I see bad, so God must not care. Or is there more? Friends, we, just like the Colossian Christians, are warned in chapter 8, uh, excuse me, in chapter 2 and verse 8, to not be taken captive by philosophy, by the wisdom of this age, by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Friends, we celebrate Christmas because 
unlike the world in which we live, we know that God, in fact, has done something to fix this problem of evil, and that's the joy that comes with Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because we know that God has already done something to ultimately fix this problem of evil in our world and in our lives. See, the baby in the manger went on to live the only perfect life and to die the only perfect death so that this problem of evil could be eradicated once and for all. His life and death and resurrection have done everything necessary for there to be peace on earth, as well as an eradication of all evil and its coming. But look again at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him, meaning in the, the Christmas child, in Christ, in the baby in the manger, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's who we celebrate at Christmas. The God-man, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to save sinners like you and like me. Skip down to verse 13 in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, Christmas is focused on Jesus bringing us peace where we need it the most. Let me say that again. Christmas is focused on Jesus bringing us peace where we need it the most. Now, granted, I hope and pray for peace on earth. I would love to see violence eradicated. I would love to see violence eradicated for all people. I would love to see violence eradicated for the unborn. I would love to see wars cease. I would love to see heartache stop. I would love to see sickness end. And I have a great hope. I have a great hope rooted in the word of God that that day is coming. And it's not here. And when it comes here, it will be so sweet. But that that day is coming where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more death, where there will be no more suffering and no more anguish, and Jesus will rule and reign. Yes, thank you, sir. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you're looking forward to that day. I hope you're excited about that day. But you know what? As long as the Lord tarries and as long as that day hasn't come, God has still done something to take care of evil. And even though it doesn't look like God is fixing this, he in reality has fixed more and fixed things in our lives in a greater way and in a more important way than we could ever imagine according to the word of God. Christmas is about Jesus Christ coming to bring us peace where we need it most. And that's a much bigger foundational and root problem than the conflicts we have with each other, even the conflicts we see on the scale of what's happening all over the world today. And the Bible has a lot to say about bringing us peace. It may not be the peace the world is looking for, but it's the most important peace you can ever have. Peace between you and the one that really matters. Peace between you and God. Romans 5.8 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did he do this? Well, read on in Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
Uh, Jesus Christ, that babe in the manger, the Christmas child that we celebrate, that we look back upon, that's in so many Christmas scenes, manger scenes, Christmas cards. That baby is God. And that baby absorbed the wrath that was headed for sinners like you and like me and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and took all of the law's legal demands, all of the law's legal requirements that you could never satisfy, that I could never keep. And you know what he did? He nailed it to the cross. And that's not just my word picture. That's what's in the word of God. We see that in verse 14. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's why Jesus came, not just to inspire big family Christmas dinners, although that's great, or to give us a reason to buy ourselves and everyone else more stuff, although that can be fun and and, and bring a lot of joy. That's why Jesus came, to disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Christmas is the good news that God has taken sinners, sinners like you and like me, whom the Bible says were not in a bad way, not not as good as we could be, not needing help and not kind of sick, but dead. Do you see that in the text? Dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ, very God, came to earth as a baby, lived a perfect life, faced all the hardships and trials that we face, experienced the same difficulties that we face from living in an imperfect, fallen world was tempted as we are but didn't sin and died on the cross in my place. Merry Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And of course, even though he... Not of course, this is no... Even though he died, he defeated death. Just as he said he would. He's now in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us and coming back to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's what Christmas is all about. Merry Christmas. That's what we celebrate on Christmas Day. God isn't fixing this. He has fixed this. God isn't fixing this. It's as good as done. God isn't fixing this. That's empty deceit and a lie from the pit of hell. Because the truth is, Christmas shows us that God sent his son into this world to fix our greatest problem, to bring us peace exactly where we need it between him and us, and to ultimately give us a promise of hope of a day when there will be no more violence, no more death, no more suffering, and that's worth celebrating and looking forward to with great joy and great anticipation. See, Jesus doesn't just point the way. Jesus doesn't just point to the way. He didn't just come to earth so that he can point to a better way of life. You know what he says in John chapter 14 and verse 6? He says, hey, hey, I am the way. Not a way, not a helpful way, not a way you really should give a, give a try, but there's lots of ways, but I'm a kind of cool way. I am exclusively the way. And other religions say, here's the way, but Jesus says, no, I'm the way. Other religions say, here's the truth. Jesus says, no, I'm the truth. Other religions say, here's how to be a righteous person. Here's how to have a better life. But Jesus says, no, no, I am your righteousness, and I purchased righteousness for you by my death and resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Merry Christmas. 
And here's my point. As a human being created in the image of God, you were never designed to be autonomous or self-sufficient. You need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus in your life. Every child that came up here and sat before me, look at me, kids. You need Jesus in your life. You don't need him in your life when you get older. You don't need him in your life when life gets really hard. You don't need him in your life when you reach a certain grade. Look at me. You need Jesus in your life right now. Right now. Maybe you've been a churchgoer your whole life. Maybe I've said nothing new to you today. Nothing. But you know you don't have Jesus in you. You know about Jesus. You might even believe in Jesus. But you don't love him. Look at me. I don't care how old or younger you are. I don't care if you're single, married, remarried, if you have kids, if you have no kids, if you're successful in business, if you've been an utter failure. I don't care. You need Jesus in your life. That's the ultimate leveling of the playing field is that everybody in this room needs Jesus in their life. Because without Jesus, you start to fall apart in every way, shape, and form. God took on flesh in his son, Jesus Christ, and suffered death on the cross for sinners like us. So that you don't have to be suffering for your sin. So that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. That's the good news of Christmas. He was broken. He bled. He was rejected. And he took the wrath of God in our place so that we could be made whole, so that we could have peace where we needed the most peace with God. That's why Jesus' mother, Mary, looking forward to the very first Christmas, only a few months away at the time, said what she did in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's rejoicing in God her Savior who is within her womb. Rejoicing in the life that is in her, that is her Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to 
generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We live in a world that says God isn't fixing this. He's not fixing this. But we say along with Mary, we say along with the word of God, he has helped us, right? He has helped us in remembrance of his mercy. How many of you can say, he's helped me? He's helped me. He's brought me out of the pit. He's made, he's brought me from death to life. He has helped me and not because he found me worthy. He has helped me just as the word of God says in remembrance of his mercy. In remembrance of the fact that he loves to not treat his children as they deserve. That he loves to save sinners. He has helped me in remembrance of his mercy. We live in a world that says God isn't fixing this, but we know it's as good as done because of the good news of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.